Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here's your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of Yumi Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 117 with my guest, Liz Shannon Miller. Liz uh, is a writer, and she writes about TV and uh movies and other uh, awesome genre nerdy stuff and so this this conversation is actually a nice um change in some ways from like typical uh episodes of the podcast we we don't get into a ton of mental health stuff uh but we talk about mental health uh in movies uh depictions of mental health in movies and tv and movies as empathy machines connecting to stories and liz shares um, a bit about her experience being a freelance writer and the anxiety of that and highs and lows. And it was a really just lovely, refreshing conversation. Liz is, again, a writer. Um, You should definitely read her work. She writes very passionately about all the things she loves, uh, including Star Trek and other things. Um, But you can give her a follow on Twitter at Lizlet, L-I-Z-L-E-T, at Lizlet. Um, again, her name is Liz Shannon Miller, and she's a delight, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Before we get to the episode, though, just remind you that, um, well, a couple of things. Um, so over on the Yumi Empathy Instagram, I'm giving away uh, 15 uh, Yumi Empathy stickers uh, just uh, for uh, new uh, Apple Podcast reviews of Yumi Empathy. So go, if you haven't left a review, go leave a review and then share it with me uh, via Instagram DM and uh, I'll uh, send you a sticker. Um, sound good? Let's do that. Uh, <laughs> because I, and I, that seems maybe a little like, um, I don't know, shady? Uh, but it's not. I just, you know, I think the more reviews we get in Apple Podcasts, the more people hear this podcast and get uh, get going on the empathy stuff in their life. And uh, that's what the world needs, as you know, and as I know. Um, so go do that. Uh, make sure to follow Yumi Empathy on Instagram. And we have uh, a Twitter account. They're both at Yumi Empathy and Facebook too. Um, Facebook.com slash Yumi Empathy. Uh, and also, you guys, it is February 24th, and there is about a week left of the Feely Human Collective uh, crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo. And if you've been waiting out, you're waiting, uh, you know, a long time to kind of. Uh, you're not sure about contributing, um, and uh, this is the last chance. And it's okay if you don't. I, I truly understand. Um, it's you know, I I know not everyone has money to contribute, and that's okay. Um, so, but if you can, uh, please do. That would mean the world to me. If you go to feelyhumans.co, uh, or just go to the link in um, uh, the Yumi Empathy Instagram bio, you'll find it there, or the Feely Human Instagram bio at Feely Human. Uh, you'll find it there, but 
crowdfunding for the first phase of the Feely Human Collective, which is uh, a new collaborative mental health space for uh, Feely humans to learn about empathy and to grow their capacity for empathy and to connect with their hearts and connect with other people around this Feely stuff, our feelings, our mental health, all of this stuff is so important. And uh, so that's that's what it means to me. And um, I hope it means a lot to you as well. So go to feelyhumans.co. Again, it's the last week of crowdfunding. Um, as of this recording, there's 99 backers. So if we get over 100 backers, that would be pretty awesome. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, let's get to the episode, shall we? Um, again, this is episode 117 with my guest, Liz Shannon Miller. Uh, and we talk about movies as empathy machines. Enjoy. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight. So we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today I am geeking out because I'm here with television writer, X-Files aficionado, and lover of the Oxford comma, of which I just used in this very sentence, it's Liz Shannon Miller. Hello, Liz. Hello, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? Great. Great. Thank you for having me on. So happy to have you. Um, Oxford comma. I mean, come on. How can you do do wrong with the Oxford comma? I mean, it's it's annoying because uh, the, the tragic fact of the matter is the Oxford comma is actually not considered official style. It's not it's not officially uh, a part of the AP style guide, the AP style guide, uh, which is a kind of a baseline standard used by a lot of different publications. Right. Uh, it does not does not recommend using it. Uh, so I sometimes sometimes so I've I so including the publication I worked at for several years uh, that they they only recently like changed their style guide to basically say like, we're we're gonna ignore AP rules and just uh, do just go ahead and let the Oxford comma back. Uh, but you got you get I got used to writing without it, but it's still like you know my favorite thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I nerded out uh, when I saw that in your bio because I I'm you know I for my day job I'm a writer editor and and you know words and language matter to me and uh, and I'm I'm a fan of the Oxford comma so um, I was I was happy to hear that and we like in my day job we we don't do AP stocks we're not in sort of like journalism you know media we're in 
kind of like more marketing and advertising, I guess, is sure. So it's we we follow Chicago Manual, which is right. a bit more sort of kind to the Oxford comma. That's good. That's yeah. a and I feel like you know places vary all the time. Like <clears throat> I'm writing for a number of different sites right now, and I really need to sit down and just like create a spreadsheet that includes like all of the little quirks of their of their rules. Like this place uses italics versus quotes uh, for for titles. Uh, this place uses the Oxford comma versus not like. Because you know, everyone has their different their different philosophies. So many rules. So many rules. It's like, can there not be a universal rule? Like, will we ever get there? <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly, I, I, I don't think we will. But I also don't think that's a bad thing. Just because mm-hmm. I think the you know needs of different publications, like you know, mean that it makes more sense for this or that to be a certain way. And uh, I think like, you know, yeah, I feel like when, when publications are allowed to be flexible and allowed to, allowed to kind of like make sure that they're following the rules for the right reasons versus just we have to do it because that's the rule. Like that's, I think, what, what matters. Yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, I think what I bump into, I guess, sometimes like from a... Um you know, just like sort of like fuck the man ethos that I have like coursing through my veins. Um, <laughs> I, I, sometimes I want to like, I, I prickle at the sort of like, don't tell me what to do. You know, these like, cause I, I, I feel like the beauty of language is that it's sort of ever changing and, and, but of course, like we have to have standards. So I'm like, uh, I'm on one side, like, of course we have to have standards. We need to follow these things and that's great. But also like, Screw you for telling me what to do. I'm a bit conflicted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Um, well, before we get into it, uh, let's just do an emotional check-in. Uh, we always kind of start off the show with just uh, a check-in uh, of my guest and myself. So, Liz, how how are you? How is your week and how are you feeling right now? Um, pretty good. Uh, I feel like uh, right now, uh, emotionally, I would say I'm... A little anxious just because uh, I have a couple of big deadlines uh, on the on the horizon, and a little bit uh, there's a little bit of just like how am I going to get this all done in time? Uh, and you know I'm trying to like I I you know, as we record this it's Emmys more it's the morning of the Emmys which I'm excited to watch, but I may have to I basically I'm like tentative I, I've I had plans to watch it with some people and I'm tentatively considering like canceling it just because. Uh, I have all this work to get done. I really just want to focus on it. And, you know, like it's, a, it's something where it's like, I don't want to cancel cause I want to see these people. Sure. But, uh, I also feel like, you know, if, if I did cancel it, that'd be a real relief and I could really just focus on the stuff I want to focus on and not have to worry about cleaning my bathroom, like that sort of thing. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, uh, and I, I feel like talking it out like that, I should probably, I should probably just kind of focus on the work I need to get done, but also why choosing work over people has never been a thing that I feel like I should do. Um, like, I feel like that's, that's never necessarily the right solution. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And I so relate, I, I so relate to that. Cause I, I know for me, I do like to take on a lot and, and I get, and then sort of my anxious brain, um, uh, gets to a point where I feel like, oh, I'm, 
I'm kind of like feeling a little overwhelmed and I need to kind of scale back. And yeah, sometimes that's, that's at, you know, that's, that means excluding the, or, or cutting out the time with friends or going to the party or something. But I guess when you have a deadline, you know, and that's, that's like work you have to like, you know, work you need, you know, mm-hmm. I guess maybe it's a little easier. I don't know. I mean, that's, I think that there is that aspect to it. And it's not like it's work that it, it's fun work. It's interesting work. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to do it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a back and forth. Yeah. Uh, good. What was that? Are you still there? Oh, I, I, yeah. So I was just saying, go ahead. Like, you, oh, you, no, yeah. You, you had a breath, and I was like, oh, that's <laughs> no, you're right. about to say something. No, no I was just going to say that, um, what, like, when you're in those moments and you're like feeling the deadline, and, and, you know, what's, what's your, what's your process like in terms of like just make sure you're kind of taking care of yourself and, and all that? I mean, it, it depends. Like, a lot of times, a lot of times the, the big thing is, I feel like I've, I've gotten pretty good over the years of, you know, making sure to strategize and, and be prepared for the deadlines that I do have. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not completely screwed right now is basically my point. Like I've got a little bit of flexibility still. I've got, uh, you know, I've, I've got, I, I feel like I, I will have time to get everything done. And it's just like, you know, I, 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 I don't get like super stressed out and like, you know, I don't anymore get super stressed out and like crawl into a corner just because one of the nice things about having been a professional writer for so long is I, I know, I, I know how to do it. Like I know how to get through certain things. Yeah. Like I, and I have confidence, like, you know, if I, if I sit down and I take like, I, I know that I have the ability to sit down and take like a 4,000 word transcript from an interview and I can make that into an article. Like I've done it enough times that I never worry about that. Yeah. And so it's like when they're a bigger, even, even like with a bigger, more ambitious project, like one of the things I'm working on right now, uh, like I, I've done it enough times to know I can, I can do it again. And is that just, you know, the simple fact that you've, you've just done it. You've just, you have experience. Yeah. I mean, and I think the thing is like, I can always do better. Like, you know, I can always put more time and effort into making sure that it's as the best it possibly can be. Uh, like that's, there's always that aspect, but uh, you know, in general, what I've been finding is, you know, it, 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 there is a certain level of confidence you get from having gotten to do it a bunch of times. But I also am trying to make sure that at other times, you know, when I have the opportunity, I, you know, do try to take on more challenging work. And then that, that leads to, uh, that is, that is, that causes some anxiety, especially like if it's an ambitious project for, you know, ambitious project for a company I'm, I'm really excited about working with. Like, that's a thing. Yeah. But, you know, there's always the fear that you're not going to be good enough. Like, that's always with me. Um, but, you know, fortunately, um, fortunately, I feel like, um, I've gotten good at managing it to some degree. And, you know, there'll be like, there, there are lots of times when I'll like send in a, send in a review or an article and I'll immediately, and I won't hear back right away. And I'll immediately just like reach out to a friend and be like, Oh, I just filed this article and I'm the worst writer in the world. And I suck. And, (laughs) you know, I don't deserve happiness and all that. And, And then, 
and then my friend tells, and then the, the, my friends are usually are good enough, are good enough people to be like, you're not the worst person in the world. You're going to be fine, etc. Like, it's I so re- funny. Which I always really appreciate. It's so yeah. funny that we do that because I, I do the same. It's like, I mean, I have confidence in my ability to to do a thing or produce a thing or to write a thing, and and that. Uh, that sort of very distinct, you know, very relatable. I imagine many listeners can relate to this moment where you're waiting. <laughs> the waiting game is is the oh, worst because yeah. you know your your mind takes over. Yeah, I mean, like uh, just last week, I had an article. Uh, I, I filed a piece, and I just never heard back. And that's it was one of those things where I was like I spent like and I was like really nervous about it all of a sudden and I was like I I, I just won't I, I I'll just assume that if it's that they just didn't get around I, I want to just assume that oh they just didn't get around to telling me whether or not it was any good and I mean it, it, the article went live and uh it, I basically like checked like a day later a day a day or two after I'd filed it I was like oh they they published it it seems to have come out fine they didn't seem to have a lot of they didn't make a lot of changes to my copy so that's usually a good sign um, and I was kind of, I was kind of, and I felt a little foolish for assuming that I had just done a bad job and that's mm. why they didn't reach out to me. Mm. Um, at, at least did a serviceable job. I think at, at this point, a lot of times when it, when it comes to writing, um, like essentially the kind of like kind of journalism I've been doing, like, you know, you want to write, you want to have every word you write be, you know, extraordinary and powerful and so forth. But sometimes, Sometimes you're just writing, you know, it's, it's, you're writing something pretty basic and it's just like, no, I guess it, it, as long as it's it's readable and it's good and it's clean, like, you know, that's, you know, sometimes it's, it's not like you're aiming for mediocrity, but you're kind of accepting, like, you know, sometimes you just, you do the work and it gets done and. Totally. Yeah. uh, I mean, that's part of the, that's part of the territory. You're just like, every piece can't be Pulitzer Prize sort of (laughs) worthy, right? Right. I mean, they can be there. They're they're definitely like a, a couple of you know writers I know, and it's just like anytime they write anything, it's really extraordinary. But they also, I also they also don't write a ton, and you know, they they in the sometimes their articles have their own kinds of flaws. Like not everything, but like that's you know that's the that's the advantage of the game. Like you know, you know, you know even even if you don't like feel like you. Hit, hit it out of the park with one piece there's always the the next article can be an opportunity to change that turn that around yeah how you know so i i many years ago i sort of quit my day job and i was freelance writing and editing and it's hard and it's it's really a um i think a a moment where you have to really kind of battle the i'm not good enough with the like look, I'm just going to make this work and make this happen. Like how, how has that journey been for you? Cause I, I know that for me, that was hard, you know, as someone who has like, you know, sometimes like low self-esteem, sometimes like certainly the, like, I'm not worthy of love sort of stuff. Like how has that been for you? Cause like you really, to my, I, I think what I'm getting at is like to be a successful, like paid freelance writer uh, you really have to kind of be confident in your ability. How how have you developed that over the years? Um, well, the thing is, is that I've only been full time freelancing for a few months now, and uh, my entry, my re entry into the freelance world after like five years at IndieWire, 
uh, was not, not, not my choice. Uh, I was laid right. off. And right. so that, that brought with it an extra set of fun, uh, fun emotions. Uh, but I think like, I mean, it just, I think like it's, it's been rough. Like, cause every, 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 every time someone passes on something, every time, like, every time, you know, you have an idea that you think is really good and people just aren't interested, like that's, it, it's always a blow yeah. and you really just have to focus on the successes. And, you know, the fact that, you know, if, if somebody says no to you, it's not because they have a personal vendetta against you. Uh, it's because they, you know, have budgets and they have uh, other writers they're working with who already, like I pitched one idea uh, on Friday to to an editor and if I've been working with and she's like, this idea is so great. In fact, it's so great that we already have a writer reporting it, like, uh, uh. which is like, I mean, and that's, that's, you know, it sucks because that's not, I'm not going to get paid for that, yeah. <laughs> for that idea. Uh, but it's nice to know that I was on, I was like, at least on the right track. Like, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, How, so I think, like, like, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to in terms of like keeping motivated and keeping going. And mm -hmm. the, the other thing is like, I'm still kind of figuring out like how sustainable my current rate of working is and trying to figure out like, you know, if, 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 if like, if, if full-time freelancing is going to be a long-term thing for me, like, or cause I am definitely of course looking for permanent jobs like everyone else. Yeah. Um, and trying to figure out like additional opportunities that I can add, you know, supplement my income with. But like, it's, you know, it's not necessarily easy. No. What do you, what, what happened at IndieWire? Why, why do you think you lost your job there? Oh, I, 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 I know exactly what they told me, which was that uh, they wanted, they needed to eliminate my position to hire a business reporter, um, hmm. which was not, which is not my skill set. So hmm. um, these things happen. Yeah. How did so, that, like, did you see that coming? Was it pretty out of the blue? Pretty out of the blue. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I was pretty, I was pretty, I was pretty surprised. A lot of people were really surprised, in fact, which was one of the, one of the comforting things was like, there's a lot of outreach in the days and weeks following, which is just like, I, we, you know, we're so surprised this happened yeah. and all that. So I mean, it's, 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 it's the sort of thing that happens all over the place. Uh, and it's just been a matter of kind of picking myself up and moving forward. And I have, I have no, I have no ill feeling towards anyone there. It's, it, 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 you know, this is, I wish, I wish it hadn't happened, but you know, I, I've, I've been very lucky in getting a num number of opportunities outside of that, uh, outside, outside of, of that, of that situation. And, uh, you know, people, yeah, you know, I, I I always I, I need to be pitching more, but I've been getting a fair amount of work, and I've been you know very lucky in a lot of respects. So, um, like I have an apartment I can afford still, and I have uh, you know friends and family, and uh, and I get this. I still can. I still am getting opportunities to work. So that's Good. that's what makes me happy. Yeah, awesome. Have you always been into? Because you know, for the listeners, you Liz write a lot about TV and sci-fi sci and and you know those types of worlds. Have you always been into genre stuff and and that that's type of stuff? Even you know, far back as as a kid. Oh yeah, like uh, you know, my parents, my uh, my parents raised me right. Uh, on a steady <laughs> diet of star, of star, star Wars and Star Trek. Uh -huh. uh, 
no, I've yeah, I've always been I've always been a genre fan. Uh, like I, you know, it started you know it's, uh, you know it's one of those things where if my parents hadn't shown me hadn't been big nerds themselves, would I still like? Would I still have like come to come to love these things? I I don't know if that, that's a very chicken or chicken or the egg guess question. Right, right. But I know that like I you know I grew up you know. Like I, I can't, I don't even know how many times I watched uh, *Return of the Jedi* on VHS uh, as a kid. Um, and saying that dates me a bit, uh, <laughs> but like even before like the age of six, even like *Return of, Je- Return of the Jedi* was my favorite. *Star Wars* was good, but *Return of the Jedi* had kissing in it and the Ewoks, and Ewoks rule. So, oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like no, no kid does not like an Ewok. Yeah, I, I, I keep meeting people who don't like Ewoks, and I'm very concerned about them. They're monsters. Uh, they're monsters. Uh, so yeah, but like even even once like I got a little older and I was kind of like discovering my, discovering pop culture for myself. Like I always gravitated towards the nerdy and the weird. Um, like one of my first, the, one of the first shows I ever really loved uh, intensely was uh, the Disney Disney Afternoon animated series Gargoyles. Mm, uh, oh yeah, which was just iconic for me. It was just like a blend of all the crazy stuff I loved, you know, cause I was, I was, it, you know, that show combined Shakespeare and, you know, mystical, ma- magical creatures and, you know, robots and laser guns. And, uh, <laughs> then it was a great like, show. It was an amazing show. And it yeah. had, it had everything a, a young lady of, of my inclinations wanted. So mm-hmm. like, so yeah, like I, I felt like I fell hard for that. And I fell hard for the exiles, uh, a, a couple of years later. And yeah, it's just been, an ongoing pursuit of uh, I, I the like you know, think you know, there's something about genre that I never I never feel like it's truly escapist for me like I just but I just love getting the opportunity to sink into alternate worlds. What do you what do you think that is? What how do you, like your interest in that? Like what do you think that speaks to like your your heart your character? Because like for me. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I grew up reading fan, like Terry Brooks and fantasy novels, and 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 for me, it was escape. Like at the time, it was like started as like, oh, I can sort of immerse myself in these worlds and kind of forget about maybe the struggles that I'm having in my real world, and that was like so important for me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, what what about your character sort of like speaks to these these sort of fantasy worlds? Um. Well, I think, I think it's just a vocabulary I'm very comfortable with because like I've grown up like, you know, because I grew up watching this sort of, this sort of storytelling, Mm -hmm. like I just feel comfortable. Like it's, it's something, it's something that feels familiar. And even, even in the weirdest moments, like, I don't know, it's weird. It's a, it's a tough question just because I feel like it's something I've never really questioned about myself. It's just like, of course I love, of course I love you know, you know, of course I love superheroes. Of course I love, of course I love space battles. Like, of course I get engaged with this stuff. Now, I think like, honestly, part of it too is like, I really enjoy how detail rich a lot of these, uh, a lot of this, at least properties can be like, I love, you know, uh, I, I, uh, this is like a, a, a vaguely spoilery example. I don't, uh, but for anyone who hasn't seen Avengers Endgame. Okay, spoilers uh, for Avengers Endgame. 
Yes, it's uh, not, not, not. This isn't one of the huge ones, but uh, basically, uh, you know, there's. I, I saw I saw it for the first time at a press screening with a friend of mine, and uh, it was like a couple of days before the movie had come out. So it was completely, you know, no one in that no one in that theater had any idea what was coming, which was great. And uh, basically, there's a, it, a, in a scene right right near the very very end. Um, I realized what was ha- I realized one thing that was going to happen. Then I realized another thing that was going to happen. And I leaned over and I like just whispered frantically in my friend's ear. They never said who Peggy Carter married <laughs> because it was, there's this established thing, uh, in, in the, in, in the, in the Marvel universe, uh, Peggy Carter, uh, Captain America's erstwhile girlfriend, uh, or love interest. Uh, it, it was established that at some point in her history after, Captain America went in under the ice. She did event- eventually get married, uh, and so having that having that moment of realization at that at that at, at that point in watching the movie was just like this p- very pure bolt of joy for me because it was just like it felt like a lot of different things were adding up to one one cool twist, mm. yeah. um, and it it felt very it felt very beautiful. Yeah, it was well done for sure. I mean, I, I, I enjoy those movies. I, I think what the Marvel has sort of pulled off is really unprecedented, you know? Um, oh, it's, absolutely. It's quite a feat. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just on the basic level of they've made 21 or 22 of those movies and not all of them are great, but there's not like a real flat out bomb amongst them. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's totally. something like it's something really impressive in that respect, uh, just on that very basic level, and then also like a lot of like a lot of the efforts to balance continuity across like things being made by multiple directors and writers. Like it's interesting. Uh, it's just it's, it's it's something where it's like you know it, it, whether or not it's a distraction versus uh, a you know comfort food. Uh, just digging into those details and kind of trying to see how all the pieces come together is something that really appeals to me as a consumer of stories. You know, when you said that, it made me think about like um, sometimes the kind of, um, I mean, I'm not in the world of like journalism uh, or sort of media reporting, but I, I, as a, as a consumer of these things, I have this sort of, uh, outward sense that there's like a certain uh, brand of sort of journalism that's, I don't know, frankly snooty and a little sort of highfalutin and like, you know, what have you. Have you run into any of that? Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I think there is some of that to a degree, but I, I for fortunately one of the best things about the work I get to do these days is a lot of it is me like translating, translating my passion for this kind of narrative into, in, into the work. And I feel like the, the stuff I'm, I, the stuff I get excited about writing, the stuff that I, I feel like people know I can write well about is like this sort of, it is like, like coming at 
coming at these these stories, coming at coming at these franchises with the passion of someone who genuinely cares about about them as like narrative experiences. Like, um, I feel like there is there is room to be snooty. There is like, but at the same time, like, uh, take uh, for example, David Ehrlich is the film critic for IndieWire, mm-hmm. uh, or that he's the chi- I think. He's uh, he he and he and Eric Cohen do the bulk of the of the film reviews, and what's really great about David Ehrlich is that he he basically really knows he 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 will not hesitate to call something a terror call a movie terrible or you know just like a waste of time or space like he will he will if he is if he does not care for a movie he will go after it and that includes a lot of marvel stuff to be honest like he's not a huge marvel fan however he did genuinely love black panther and he wrote his review is an incredibly enthusiastic endorsement of that movie which you know fair that movie's great um so i feel like even but like even when david ehrlich is trashing like a superhero movie he's doing it from a place of genuine passion for the medium and he's not he doesn't have a blanket hatred of any of all genres. He just, you know, has, he has a, he has his very specific taste and he doesn't compromise it. So I think like, I think that, I mean, that when we talk about like how, you know, it's like movie critics, like right now um, people are, you know, ranting on the Twitters about, about Ad Astra Mm. and how, a lot of critics really loved Ad Astra and then audience wise, it's been getting really a lukewarm response. Um, and people are debating like, Oh, is it just like highfalutin movie critics who don't understand the regular people of the world? Are they just, is that why that movie has an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes? And it's like, no, it's not a calculated effort. It's like people genuinely love movies. Like, and in they, and they want them to be good. And sometimes that means that they're coming at it from a place where they have a really deep well of knowledge. Yeah. Like if the, I think like there's like, it's, it's funny, like this is a, maybe a bit of a tangent, but I feel like, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you're watching movies, like it, you know, it's, it maybe is the first time you've seen a movie like this in your life. So of course you think it's like the best movie ever. Um, like, it took me until I, I think like the first time I ever actually watched a movie in the theater and realized it wasn't a good movie was mm-hmm. maybe Batman and Robin. <laughs> Batman and Robin was the first time I ever saw a movie and I was like, maybe this isn't good. Maybe yeah. the maybe this movie is bad. And uh, that's because like it, it, up until that point, like I how how many Batman movies had I seen? How much how, how many superhero movies in general had I seen? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, so I feel like having like the I feel like the, a lot of times like. The argument that, you know, people make in terms of defending film criticism is that, yes, it's people who have a different, maybe have a different opinion about film versus, like, the quote-unquote average Joe. Pardon me, one sec. Oh, my God, that that sneeze went away. Uh, But anyways, um, they might have a different opinion than quote-unquote average Joe, but they, you know, what there's no a there's no such thing as the average joe everyone has a different well of experience to draw from and the the, the what the film critic has going for them is um an invested interest in having having like a lot of knowledge of film and being able to say like well this movie doesn't really succeed the way it could there are other movies that have done similar things better yeah 
It's a very rambly answer. No, I love it. I, and I love, you know, what sort of struck me as, as the sort of core there for me and for you is like the, the, what lights you up? Like what, what, like for you, it's coming from a place of joy. You're celebrating these things that you really truly love. And sometimes, uh, sometimes those things can maybe let you down, right? Or, or, you know, meet your standards. And I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and that's the thing. Like I, I always, you always want it to be good. You never, I, I, I've never gone into a movie or a TV show and thinking, Oh boy, I hope this sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, so even, even if it's like something I'm like, even if it's something like I'm not necessarily rooting for, like I recently had, uh, got assigned to review a show and I looked at the producers and two of the producers on the show, I'm not going to mention their names, but they were producers who I'm not like big fans of. Like I've seen other stuff they've done. I know the kind of things they like to make. And I'm like, I don't think this is going to be for me. And it in fact was not for me, but the fact of the matter is I still had to watch it. Cause I was being asked to review it. And, mm. uh, I would have been very happy if it had been good. Like, you know, surprise me. Like I always want to be surprised by stuff. Like, the, it, yeah. you know, yeah. Like there are plenty of plenty of interesting examples of that. I, I love that. I, I think that's a really good I think that's very centered and healthy of you, honestly. Uh, you know, because we as humans just in general, like even putting aside like when we're, you know, film or TV critics, you know, in general when we operate with other humans, I think it's probably important to kind of check our preconceived notions at the door or and just give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually, like, I, I saw two movies last week, um, both of which I went into with basically the same level of expectation. And the first one was uh, this upcoming upcoming film, The Report, which is about basically, uh, you know, basically the attempt to get out information about the torture report. Um, and it's a really good cast. And it's a, you know, of course, a very important topic, but something about the storytelling just left me really dry. I found it really, a, a, really a bit of a slog to get through. And so the next night, um, I was almost like I, I had, I got a, I was, I, I got to go to a screening of Judy, which is this upcoming biopic, oh, yeah. uh, starring Renee Zellweger and as Judy Garland. And I, I, I literally, you know, cause I'd been, I hadn't enjoyed the movie I saw the night before. So I was kind of, kind of went in like a little, like a little nervous. It's like, uh, I don't know if I can handle another not great movie. Uh, but then I, but I was, I was thoroughly surprised by how much I enjoyed Judy. Like it was really, it was, I thought it was really well done on a number of levels. So, you know, it's like it, but I, you know, I, it, so it took me a little more work to kind of be open to the idea that, okay, this may, maybe this movie will be better than, or at least more enjoyable than, than what I've already seen yeah. recently. And, uh, my faith was rewarded. Awesome. Do you, did you, uh, did you go to school for writing? I went to school. I have a degree. I have a degree from, I, I have a degree that technically doesn't exist anymore from a school that technically does not exist anymore. Ooh, uh, scandalous. Well, it was basically <laughs> I, I went to USC and okay. uh, I went to USC and I was in the screen. I was in the I was in the, the the I was in what was then called the cinema television program for filmic writing. Uh, filmic is not a real word. 
uh, <laughs> but they they used it anyway. And I believe now they 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 renamed the school uh, the USC School of Cinematic Arts uh, a couple years ago, and I think the degree is now just called screenwriting. Okay. So. That's why I make my little joke. But yeah, I, I went to school to study screenwriting, uh, but I also had always been pursuing journalism, pursuing, you know, other avenues of storytelling. Like, because that's, that's the big thing for me is just like, I think what it, what it really comes down to in the end, it's all about stories. And mm. so I, I'm really grateful for the experience I had getting to understand them from that level. Do you relate to the thing that Roger Ebert said about sort of movies being empathy machines? You know, I don't even know if I've heard that quote before, but I really love it. Uh, I, I, I relate to that, I think. Like, I think I think the movies that, I think a movie that where you can't empathize with any of the characters is going to leave you cold. Right. Um, and it's going to, it, it, even if, even if it's like the most, even if it's the most interestingly, interestingly made movie in the world, like if you don't care about any of the characters, if you don't have that level of empathy for the scenario, like it's going to be hard. Um, I'm making for some reason the movie that came to mind just then was a fight club. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why. Hmm. And I think, I mean, that movie is, that movie is crazy. Like it, it, I, I still really respect it in so many ways for what it, what it like is able to communicate. And I think like, and it's so well-made and so and it's so compelling in so many respects, but I think it really comes down to like the first like good 20 minutes or so of that movie is all about setting up the protagonist and like kind of like really capturing like his his existential you know struggle and whether right. or not you and even even as a even even though I am not a straight white man struggling with a a boring nine to five job and having to wear a tie all the time <laughs> I can still I I still very much you know understood where he was coming from because the film worked so well in terms of setting that up yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I, I've had experiences watching movies or TV shows even that, um, like I'm watching, uh, we, my wife and I just finished The Boys on Amazon. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's hard to watch. It's like, it, it's, it's very dark. And, and most of the characters are, uh, real vile, but there are, I, I think what kept us going is, is one, it was, you know, just compelling storytelling, but two, there are certain sort of characters, there are a couple of characters that, that have some redeeming qualities uh, that you can kind of latch onto, but I'm with you. Like if I'm not having those, if I can't connect and, and empathize with one of the characters, like I, I can't, it's like too much for me. Yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like the show that really made me conscious of this was, uh, lost um on abc because uh happy 10th anniversary to lost by the way I i've only seen like the first few episodes i feel um every time lost gets brought up and i mentioned that i feel i feel deep shame uh, i mean it's here's the thing about lost though um like that first season is really strong in a lot of respects like and it, it does like the format of it like talking about building empathy for characters like they're the, the the flashback structure really lets you get to know certain people mm. uh but i definitely hit this point with it in season two which is i think most people would agree is arguably the worst season uh of the show if you don't if, if you leave out if you don't bring season six into the discussion but season two i hit this point where 
I just realized I did not care about any of the characters anymore. Like mm. none of them were good and, or none of them were interesting to me and, or they were just making terrible decisions and clearly stalling. And mm-hmm. it was just like, I, I don't like these people anymore. And yeah. so I actually stopped watching the show for a while. Um, and I only came back to it in season three um, because they made some big announcements about like, this was, this is a pretty groundbreaking decision that ABC made, which was, uh, and I think they, they made it in, conjunction with Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, who ran the show, uh, which was, you know, you get a, a, a three-season re- three season renewal, 18 episodes a season, and that's it. Like, and that way they could, they could, they knew exactly how much more runway they had and they could build up to the ending they wanted to do. Hmm. Uh, and because of that, I started watching again and uh, found that, you know, so the characters who were annoying me before were less annoying now. And there were new characters who I also liked. And yeah, it was the like, yeah, it's, it, it really, it, I really did stop watching the show for a while just because I thought the characters were bad. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, like, I, and I agree with you that like stories, it's all about stories and, and stories are, stories are everywhere. Stories are in, in us. I think we create our own stories. We, uh, view and sort of connect and relate to other stories. Do you remember the time for yourself when like, you know, obviously growing up watching Star Wars and things like that and being into those types of stories? Do you remember the first time you thought like, oh, I, maybe I can I can write some of this stuff? I can write about this stuff? Yeah, um, I think I was, it's, uh, I think when I was in my, I was in my, like, like early teens and I was starting to, I was starting to try to write my own fiction. And I think like my first, the first real story I tried to write, um, was, uh, was like, uh, like plucky teen girl, uh, who turns out to be like, uh, Sherlock Holmes niece or something. (laughs) And, uh, and it wasn't, it's, it, you know, it was, it was clearly like, pastiche and clearly you know self-insert fiction and all that uh but i remember i read out loud i remember i i remember reading out loud some of my story some of the story i wrote to my grandmother and uh later i just overheard like she didn't even say she said you know i think she said to my face of course like you know that was very good but then she like i remember overhearing her talk to my my parent my mom my mom and my dad she's like that story Lisa wrote was really quite good. Um, and I was just like, I feel like that was one of the first times I thought, okay, like, you know, I've been writing, I've, I've, had, I've been telling stories and making stuff up for a while, but maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe, maybe there is something here for me. That's so cool. And what a, what a beautiful moment that is overhearing your grandma be so nice about it. Yeah, no, that was, it was cause that's the thing, like, you know, Grandmas will say anything to your face. Grandmas will tell you anything to your face. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, well, most people in general, like oh, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I, I never want to hear what people have to say about me behind my back. Um, <laughs> but which is why I don't read internet comments, et cetera. But Smart. like at the same time, at the same time, every once in a while, like a, a bit of a bit of positive feedback like that will come through, and you know, it's, it's no one, no one has to tell you this. And, yeah but they still go out of their way to say good job. And that means a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did, was, you know, when you heard that, you know, your, your grandma telling your parents about that, did you, I mean, were your parents like kind of supportive of, of your sort of pursuits in the, in that way? Yeah. My parents have always been very supportive. Uh, And, and like, you know, I think every once in a while, like they, 
you know, ask questions like, hey, you know, can, are you make, are you are you sure, et cetera. Like, but they've 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 always been very supportive of my successes. They've always been very you know very understanding when things don't work out. Like, uh, I I I can I I I know that's not the case for a lot of people. So I'm, yeah. I feel consider myself very fortunate. Like that they've always believed in me enough to support me in these things. That's so nice. Are you, yeah. are you, do you have siblings, only child? I have a younger brother. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, we're, we're pretty, we're a pretty close family. We, we like each other. I think that's the nicest thing is, uh, you that know, is rare. I, I just enjoy, I enjoy spending time with my parents. Like, so. That's beautiful. Do you, do you, do they live in LA as well? They actually just moved here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we've been hanging out. We, we, we see each other certainly a hell of a lot more than we used to when they lived uh, about 300, 400 miles away. Um, and it's been it, like they moved, they moved because uh, they retired, basically uh, they've retired or quasi retired and are now. And so uh, they wanted to be closer to all the, uh, to the rest of the family, which is Aww. largely down here. Yeah. So That's awesome. yeah, it's yeah, it's been very. It was a. It was a. It was a very considerate thing of them to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's you know still still figuring it out, but it's 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 been very nice. What Liz? What was your first paid writing gig? Oh wow, good question. Um. Because huh. I I I think like my first like. My first uh, regular writing gig, which wasn't paid very much at all, it, w- it, it, it was basically free except for every once in a while I would write something else and for the site uh, called Book Slut, which oh, yeah. uh, was this, which yeah, it's been it's been it's been gone for a while, but uh, I was I wrote the Hollywood Madam column on book to film adaptations, uh, which was really fun, and uh, that was like that was like my first like semi regular writing gig. Uh, but it was unpaid, uh, largely. Uh, so I got, I, I think like, like the first thing that came to mind was, uh, like I, I sold like a short story or two, uh, to various, uh, to a couple of magazines, to magazines, uh, like maybe like 15, 16 years ago for, that was like one of my first, first big moments. Gotcha. Um, God, it's I, I I should have an answer to that question. Like the thing is, I've just always been writing, and as I you know, as the internet blossomed, uh, so did my interest in writing for it. Uh, so I've always been very, very focused on that. Uh, yeah, it's 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 tough. Like I I can tell you, like I became a I think I w- I went full fully my first like full time full time professional journalism gig. Uh, I, I started writing for a site that covered online video in December of 2006, and that eventually uh, kept. And I kept doing that for. Uh, I, I, and I started. So I started off professionally as a journalist covering uh, digital content, like okay. uh, web series, YouTube, and so forth. And I did that, uh, and still to do that occasionally uh, ever since then. So I remember, nice. like the very first, I, like I, I remember. I think it was, it was about a year and a half into that where in like, you know, it, where I got a call from somebody at YouTube at, in the YouTube uh, public relations department. And I got so excited. I was like, 
oh my God, I actually, I, I got YouTube's attention. Like <laughs> maybe I matter now. That's funny. Um, I mean, they were calling to yell at me about a thing I wrote, but you know, that, that <laughs> mattered. Yeah, that, that that doesn't matter. They they contacted you. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So that's uh, been fun. Yeah. No. So one of the things I wanted to t- uh, ask you about is, so for me, like being someone, and I know this is kind of sensitive, a, a sensitive topic, but like for me, being someone who who's sort of very much in sort of the mental health space and, and thinking about that and, and sort of uh, growing up in that and having depression myself and brothers, schizophrenic, you know, uh, being sort of in this world, I'm very sensitive to like depictions of mental illness in media, you know, and, and hoping to get it right because getting it right means maybe uh, a better understanding and and less stigma right you know so i'm wondering like from your perspective are there any sort of what you feel are like good depictions of like mental health in like tv film you know it's really interesting um because i think it's i think it's something that people are still like figuring out um especially because like it's not necessarily cinematically interesting sure. um like to to do like to, to depict depict the real hard work of like say going to therapy right um yeah like uh uh like it's i i've been covering uh on a weekly basis uh the showtime series the affair mm. and that's got and you know there are episodes where there are just long scene there. There's like an occasional long scene or two where like a woman just like talks to her therapist and, uh, and sometimes, and a lot of times like it's kind of sometimes, sometimes it's seen as like non-productive, like, you know, it's better to go have like the big crazy drug trip in the, in the, in, in, in the desert sure, and have that be, ha- and have that work. But yeah, I think like, it's it, it's it's really tricky. Like right now, um, I'm writing. This is one of my big assignments that I'm working on. Is I'm working on a list devoted to the Joker mm. uh, as as a character across all these different mediums, and so like film, comics, TV. Uh, and what's what I there are two things. There are two things I'm trying to be careful about doing. One is, and in general, I'm trying to be more conscious of this. Uh, is using the word crazy. Mm-hmm. like using the word crazy or insane like yeah. even even like just like as a man do you see that episode of uh do you see that episode of a show here i'm like i can't the can boys I remember any team? yeah you say do you see how crazy that episode of the boys was like that's yeah. something i've been trying to police in myself more just because i know it's you know it's uncomfortable yeah it could be uh, stigmatizing yeah no that's i think that's so important to like be conscious of those things yeah yeah but like and and digging into the 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 idea of the Joker as a character, like you know, all these very different depictions of him as you know a sympathetic, as 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 a, a tragic figure versus you know a force of chaos, uh, mm-hmm. you know, versus you know some somewhere in between, like you know, it's like it, you know. Especially within the within like genre media, it's hard. It's hard to like do some find find a level of sincere and real depictions of 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 these stories. Yeah. No, I, I like I 
I hadn't thought about, um, and you know, I what you made me what you said about like essentially like mental health, you know, sort of or mental illness, like going to therapy isn't very like compelling, right, or cinematic, right, and that aspect of it, like at the end of the day, while it's maybe a hard pill to swallow, that is important because you know you know, studios have to make money, they have to continue to make movies, right? Like, that's that's the game that they're in. And, you know, a show like, I guess, like, when, when you're watching The Affair, and you're, like, covering it, and you're, you're witnessing, you know, a long session, therapy session in that show, are you, are you, as a sort of viewer slash critic, like, taking that in as like, oh, this is not very effective? Or does it work? I mean, sometimes it works. I think, like, I mean, th- there was there was a, an entire HBO series called In Treatment that was literally just therapy sessions, mm-hmm. uh, and it was the idea was like it was a uh, shoot. I forgot the name of the actor. Uh, the main guy. Kind of at the, set. the main guy. That's Gabriel uh, Byrne, right? Yes, that's it. Thank you. Yep. But yeah, so every 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 like it was be like four episodes that would be focusing on four different uh, four different patients, and then the fifth episode would be him and his his therapy session with his therapist. Oh. Um, and you know, I think like when you have strong characters and strong actors that you can you can make those scenes compelling. But like that, those like when that's the raison the raison d'etre of the uh, of the show, like that that works. Um. Meanwhile, like, uh, I don't know if you watch Big Little Lies. Yeah, we, but... <laughs> we, we, we watched the first season and we're like halfway through the second season. This, uh, it's another, like, to go back to what we're talking about, like, thinking about, like, characters that I can empathize with. I'm having a uh-huh. real hard time with empathizing with anyone in that show. Yeah, they're all kind of not great people. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it, I think that show that show attempts to use therapy in a really interesting way because it's like there are there it, there are a lot of scenes where p- characters are going and talking talking uh, sitting down with a uh, calamity Jane from Deadwood. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but and there it's and those scenes are interesting, but they kind of are they're kind of more of a they they don't feel like. Watching those scenes, I don't feel like I'm actually watching a person try to get better. No, I no, like uh, it's very, it's a very heightened cinematic version of therapy. Because like I, I think I recall Calamity Jane saying uh, something deeply unprofessional. Like, like a therapist would never say that, you know. And and it was almost like laughable. I don't re- remember what she said, but it was just like, no, that's that's uh, that's fairy tale. I mean, wasn't there, I, I think there's like, maybe, and maybe this, I, I don't know if this is what you were thinking of, but there's the episode where like in season one, where she flat out tells, uh, she flat out tells uh, Nicole Kidman's character, you need to get out of your abusive relationship. Um, uh, no, I don't, I don't think that was it. Cause I, I think that that's probably a good, um, I think that's a good uh, bit of therapy for sure. That's, a, yeah. that's good advice. Yeah. But yeah. That's interesting. Uh, Cause I think like, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of people who write these scenes do go to therapy, do are familiar with like, with, with what, what, what's involved, yeah. but you know, it's not necessarily, it, like you said, like you want to make it as dramatically compelling as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did, you know, speaking of big little lies, I, I think in the first season, some of the, 
kind of interplay between Nicole Kidman and her husband and that sort of abusive relationship like that to me that rung true to me having been witness to some of that you know in my life like I think that rung true and I think like honestly for me like I I while I am sensitive to these depictions I think to your point like I think it's hard to do it in a way that's compelling and cinematic and 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 stays true to the the whole show um as a whole and so i i think like we have to give a bit of grace to storytellers and 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 maybe move the needle like a little bit at a time in in ways like where i'm seeing nicole kidman and her husband's character and like seeing that as sort of like a maybe um real very real sort of grounded uh, version of like what it would be like to be in an abusive relationship. And I think mm-hmm. that's an important aspect of just mental health as well. Yeah, it's tough. Like, because I mean, it's like when you talk about depictions of mental illness, uh, uh, mental health, rather, um, like, uh, I don't, did you, are, do you, did you watch uh, Tuca and Birdie? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, it was, it, it tragically got canceled, uh, but the first season's available on Netflix. And, it is, there's so much about it that's really good when it comes to depicting these issues and uh, depict, it's like, you know, it's an animated series, but, you know, one of the characters is a recovering addict and it's, you know, not like her, 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 uh, her recovery is a very much part of the show, but it's not like, it's not like, you know, it's not like, you know, depictions of, you know, recovering addicts who, then it's just like, oh God, will they fall off the wagon again? It's just more about like, how is she going? How is she moving forward with her? With her? How is she moving forward with her sobriety? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other character, uh, the other main character is uh, has ha- has her own in- is like ha- has legitimate legitimate anxiety, um, and really struggles at times to deal with like you know basic things like leaving the house and like all of this is presented in the framework of an animated comedy but it's very heartfelt and very sincere and yeah. very beautifully done and it's it's by the same creator of uh it, it's co-created by or no it's created by the woman who does all the artwork for Bojack Horseman which is of course another show that i wouldn't say it depicts it, it's 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 about depicting you know good emotional health but i think it takes on it takes on depression and dark it, it, the dark the darkness of the human soul if you will mm-hmm. uh, in a very since in a very heart in another very like heartbreaking but heartfelt way yeah i've heard that about bojack horseman i i've not seen it and that's that is good to hear and i i think i th- i do think like we're getting more and more and better and better depictions and by better i just mean you know, real, and if not entirely real, these like aspects of it that can be relatable, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that's, that's a good thing, you know, um, like I think of something like uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, for instance, which oh, yeah. is obviously like, it, we're using the term crazy, right? But like, that's, that's, that's part of the joke, I think a little bit, that's part of like the, um, I think they're aware that that's a term that can be stigmatizing. And I think that was an intentional choice. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they, they, they literally, I think wrote it into the first season theme song where the situation is a whole lot more nuanced, nuanced than this. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think that, that they do, a, they've done a, a really good job of like depicting, I think 
that type of stuff and her sort of mental health journey. While I haven't seen every episode, I think uh, that's very well done as well. Yeah, I think like they always really put they really put the her 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 progress and her you know growth at the center of the show, which I think is really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any other like movies or TV shows that you feel like uh, I don't know depict it well that come to mind? Um, you know it's tough. Like I, I, I I'm just gonna I'm just gonna restate. Uh, BoJack Horseman is one of my favorite shows of all time. I need to and, see that. Yeah, it's a uh, the thing with BoJack is it's it's a little weird, especially if you at the beginning there's a. Uh, uh, there's basically with the first season, there's kind of a tipping point where if uh, you kind of need to get past, I hate saying it being the, Oh, well it gets really good after X number of episodes, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's more like the show figures out what it is about around a little bit, a little over halfway through the season. There's an episode called the telescope. And it's one of those things I always tell people, like, if you get to the, if you watch the telescope and you're not on board with the show, then that's fine. You did your, you did your due diligence, but that was the episode where it really turned around. It really like the show as the show for what it was really came together for me in that moment. And it's only gotten richer and deeper. That's good to hear. Um, One of the one that, that kind of sticks out for me and it's an animated film is inside out. Oh yeah. Uh, which is one I just like, I, I remember crying in that movie feeling like, oh, this is everything that I've been trying to kind of relay and, and sort of promote in sort of my life and, and the people in my life. Just this idea that like all feelings are valid and we, we have all of them and no one is right or wrong or, or vilified or sort of, you know, celebrated. It's just they're all these valid things. And I think that that show did such a good job of expressing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and I think like the fact that it's from a child's point of view in some respects doesn't necessarily make that any less effective. No, not at all. And it's, it's interesting. Like I had a conversation with, uh, and the episode, uh, should be out by this point with, uh, the, uh, copacetic system, um, uh, uh, how do I say this? They are, uh, they have um, uh, dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. And they said that uh, the that Inside Out was like one of the best depictions of uh, dissociative ident- identity disorder as well, which I, I felt was very interesting. And I, I, I was like, oh, and I'm like on to something here. That's, that's really neat. That's really neat. And I, I love that. It, I, I even love even more so that it is, you know, a quote unquote kids movie. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I think that I, for me, I just think like the, the, the grounding and the basis of like understanding our mental health and stuff is about sort of recognizing that our emotions and feelings are valid sort of guideposts to like understanding stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, a couple of other ones that like people on Instagram and Twitter mentioned are um, This Is Us. Uh, I guess it's a show. I haven't seen it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Ordinary People um, is one someone mentioned. Girl Interrupted. 
Silver Linings Playbook, um, which I felt was very Hollywood version of it. But, uh, you know, those are some interesting ones. I haven't seen Girl Interrupted in a long time, but that's the one with um, Angelina Jolie. Yeah, yeah. uh, and uh, Winona Ryder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, that one's. It's been a while since I've seen that one. Uh, I believe it's. I, I think it also kind of falls into the Hollywood sensationalist yeah. side of things. Totally. Uh, gosh, uh, you brought up. You brought up one that. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. You, you, God, you just brought up one that I wanted to mention. Silver oh. Linings Playbook. Uh, well, ordinary uh, actually, people. Actually, um, it's funny. Uh, so an actor who uh, appeared, who was a semi-regular on uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, passed away this weekend. Oh. Uh, Aaron Eisenberg. Uh, mm. And he played, uh, he played basically a Ferengi, the first Ferengi to join Starfleet. Uh, which, and he, uh, like his character actually, like, you know, kind of starts off as almost a joke. Not a joke, but like, you know, he's very much like a, He's 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 very much like your traditional like Ferengi, and then he gets like midway through the show, they gave him they basically give him this like real unexpected depth, and uh, he becomes you know he goes in then there's a war and he goes to war and then he comes back from war, and like he gets really he gets and basically like there's an entire episode that's just kind of him dealing with his PTSD. Oh wow. Um, and I mean, it, 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 and Star Trek did actually has like a fair number of these sorts of things, like, uh, and uh, like uh, there is this one episode uh, in, in Next Generation called Family, uh, and basically it's right after uh, I'm, I'm nerding out Star Trek wise. Sorry about this, but no, don't be uh, sorry. I, I would just I'm just going to interrupt real quick and say I think Star Trek just as a whole for the sort of course of its history is like one of the most sort of empathetic shows oh, yeah. and series ever. No, it's beautiful in that respect. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it, it, there's one, you know, there's the massive best of both worlds uh, two parter where, you know, Picard gets kidnapped by the, by the Borg and has to, you know, it, it barely escapes. And, the episode that immediately follows it, the one I just brought up, Family, uh, is a lot. Is a, again about him, about a character dealing with, with dealing with trauma. And mm. there's actually this really powerful moment uh, where uh, you know Picard just like is is like having like a breakdown in front of his brother because he just you know, it's like he he was victimized, uh, he was assaulted, and had his humanity stripped away, and he's wow. just and it's not it's and it's something like. It's not, and the thing I think that's really important about not that just that episode, but that storyline is that it doesn't go away. Like he's still like you know, especially it's, it, which was it's pretty impressive for a show of this nature. But like it ended up being a lot more serialized um, than previously. Into that, I think I think it even the creators initially intended. Um, so uh, yeah, it was really yeah. It's really, it's it's like you know he's he's I think even like you know they're bringing Picard back for this new Picard show, and I think uh, it sounds like part of the show is going to involve like Picard dealing with a lot of the things he's experienced over the years, including getting kidnapped by the Borg, and including losing his family and stuff like that. Yeah, that's neat. 
Yeah, yeah. The, I keep seeing those um, promos. It just looks like Star Trek colon wine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, for, for years and years, people were joking that if they ever did a Picard show, they should totally have it just be about him opening up a winery. And <laughs> bless them, it at least seems like they're going to start that way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's funny. No, that's really cool to hear. I, I I'm. It's another... Like I haven't seen all of the Star Trek series, but that's that, and I haven't seen that particular episode. But um, it it it's cool. It's good to hear that it's not just like a one-off episode, and that it's it's you know because you know of course trauma is not you know is not wrapped up in sixty minutes, so that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Well, um, let's. Uh, I guess let's start wrapping it up here. Um, we always kind of wrap up the show, Liz, talking about our empathy heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are these could be characters from TV, could be characters from film, people we know personally, uh, authors we love, just someone who's really uh, an empathetic soul. And um, while uh, you think on yours, I'll, I'll mention my empathy hero this week. Uh, my empathy hero this week is uh, my new Instagram friend, Maggie, who I uh, spoke with on the phone a couple of days ago. And uh, she's based in Kansas. Uh, she's a therapist. Um, she's at Sacred Circle Holistic Healing on Instagram. And uh, we're, uh, she was just very, um, I talked to her about like this, this business thing I've been working on and she was very supportive and thoughtful and, um, and uh, we had a really sort of lovely chat. And I, I think uh, while social media can be a wasteland of uh, vicious um, white uh, heteronormative men um, who hate women and everything but themselves and uh, DC, uh, it could also be a beautiful uh, connecting and heart sort of heartfelt place. And I, that has been the case for me, like on Instagram in particular. And so um, my sort of empathy hero this week is Mackie, my new Instagram friend. Ah, yeah. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Gosh, it's a lot. Um, honestly, uh, aside from all the wonderful people in my life who – have been really good to me over the last couple months. Uh, I feel like, uh, like for some reason, the first person that came to mind was uh, the author Douglas Copeland, uh, who is a Canadian author who's been he he's credited with coining the term Generation X. Uh, he's been writing for years. I have him um, on my shelf. Uh, Microsurfs. Microsurfs is a little bit, like I I love his books, um, but Microsurfs is the book that definitely. Um, is so is so beautiful in so many ways and it could have been kind of a weird cold story but it got it really got to me uh like 20 years ago i read this book for the first time and it still really resonates with me and i still like you know it just makes me it's like about people and in in a it's like about people in a context where it shouldn't work but it totally does Mm. so I'm getting emotional talking about it. So oh, I could tell. I, that's a good sign. Yeah, that is a good sign. I, I you know, I, I think we have it on the shelf. It must have been my wife's uh, when we um, sort of combined our books when we got married. I, I have not read it, but I, hearing that recommendation, I, I'm going to take it out and give it a whirl. 
yeah, it's, it's lovely. Awesome. Well, uh, Liz, uh, where can uh, the feely humans out there connect with you and, and read your writing and all that stuff? Um, I'm on Twitter, of course, uh, at Lizlet, L-I-Z-L-E-T. Um, I will, I also have, uh, I, I own LizShannonMiller.com, uh, where I, I may or may not start posting more like in the, uh, original writing to it. Um, but for right now, uh, it's a good, it's a good launch pad for, you know, all my different things, like a link to my muckrack account, which, uh indexes all of the uh, freelance writing I've been doing nice and lots of, and, and all the other random projects I'm working on. Great. Well, thank you uh, so much for doing this. This was like a kind of a special uh, nerdy version of Emiapathy. So I, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you letting me nerd out. It's of always course. fun. <laughs> and uh, to you listeners, I'm here. You're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Mm-hmm.